there. It's Crystal here from RuPaul's Drag Race UK and Madonna riding a giant swan made me queer. Welcome to The Things That Made Me Queer, the podcast that delves into the queer experience using the items and moments that shaped us. Each week, my special guest will bring five items to the table that help shape the person they are today, and we'll use them to delve into their queer story. I'm so excited to share this first episode with you. Um, as you've probably seen from the description, my guest is the one and only Detox. We spoke a few months ago now, and along with the things that made her queer, we have a fab conversation about being cancelled, about working during a pandemic, and I fangirl just a little bit. Um, I saw Detox on TV before I ever started drag, and she was such a highlight to me of Drag Race and the show. I think I saw a lot of myself in her and her aesthetics, and I think she kind of showed how I, how someone like me could fit into the mainstream. So it's super surreal to me that now I can just DM her and get her on a podcast. Super cool. But before we get to the interview, I just wanted to thank you so much for the warm response to the announcement to this podcast. It's been really, really wonderful. This podcast has been a long time coming, and I've put a lot of thought and time and work into it, so I really hope you're going to enjoy the series. This podcast is obviously called The Things That Made Me Queer, but I just want to clarify that I think queerness is something inherent. Nothing can make you queer, but lots of things can help you understand it, accept it, love it, and that's what this podcast is all about. Secondly, I just wanted to talk about the word queer itself. Obviously, I use the word a lot, and it's in the title of the podcast. For me, I think it's a brilliant way of saying not straight, uh, and really encompasses the richness of the LGBTQIA plus community, and that's a community that I am trying to show all of the richness of with this podcast. Um, but I totally appreciate that queer is not a word that everyone likes, and it might not feel right for you, so feel free to just substitute any word that makes you feel gorgeous. And just some food for thought that gay was also originally a slur before it was reclaimed, and that queer has been reclaimed since as early as the 1910s. Anyway, are you still with me? Great. Let's get into the episode! Okay, so my guest today needs no introduction, but I'm gonna give her one anyway. She's a fashion icon that has pummeled the runway on RuPaul's Drag Race and Drag Race All-Stars, and she's known for her impeccable taste level and her impeccable ass. She makes her own music with loads of successful solo singles and as part of DWV. Chow down, anyone? And is also a music video ho, having appeared in videos for Kesha, Lizzo, Rihanna. She's got the best taste in music of any Drag Race queen I know. And she has had it, officially! It's Detox! Oh my god, what an introduction. Right? <laughs> I, I have to get this off my chest straight away. I am such a big fan, and I'm so happy to be chatting with you. All same. I remember meeting you in New York last September and being actually starstruck to be talking to oh, you. You guys were so cute and so sweet, and I was so excited to see all of you people, and um, and the show was so amazing, you did such a great job, and I've been a huge fan of yours, too. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you for making the time. Uh, where are you right now? I'm home in Chicago, um, in my disaster of a home that's like mid-reconstruction and, and renovation, and 
has been an endless labor of uh, stress and love. <laughs> it sounds gorgeous. Oh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and you just got back from Atlanta. Uh, yes, I just got back from a very controversial trip to Atlanta. Oh my God. Um, and it's been very interesting. Um, and, you know, we can we can talk about that if you would like to talk about that. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. But I think it's worth talking about the, the, like, cancellation that I think we're all having to deal with just by trying to, like, make a fucking living right now. Yeah, you know, that's the frustrating thing is that uh, it's like, I, ideally, I would not have to go on the road and, and put myself at risk. You know, I'm severely asthmatic. I quit smoking at the beginning of the year with, with everything that happened. And I was thankful that I did because it's been a long time coming. And, you know, I, ideally I wouldn't be back on the road because I don't want to put myself at risk. I don't want to put others at risk. I don't want to put my family at risk. But, you know, after being unemployed for seven months and, and dwindling my savings, which, you know, as a touring artist, and that's all I've been doing for the past, you know, all I've done is drag for the past 20 years. And, uh-huh. You know, it comes like, I don't know what else to do. And, you know, I would have rather not have had to take work, but I was promised that the event was going to be um, socially distanced and that there were going to be sections of uh, places in the bar and that everyone was going to be encouraged to wear masks. You know, unfortunately in Georgia, where the, the gig was, their their regulations are different when it comes to COVID precautions right now. And you're allowed to take your masks off in places. And I don't agree with that. I kept my mask and my shield on the whole time I was there. Right. However, that's not the case there. And you, you don't, you're not, you know, mandated to wear masks, which is unfortunate. And I was told there were only going to be 250 people there and yada, yada, yada. All these things that didn't happen. But at the same time, I was there. I was getting paid. It's like, what, what, mm-hmm. you know, what else was I going to do? I wasn't going to. Yeah. I don't know. It's like there's like this double edged sword where it's like, I don't want to disappoint my fans. But in this case, whatever I would have done would have been disappointing my fans. And, you know, I think the biggest trick like the government plays on us is making us blame individuals in cases like that, rather than actually looking at who's allowing that to happen, because people like people are going to do things if it's allowed. And it's the same in the UK here, like we're allowed to do socially distanced live entertainment. And if you're performing, you don't need to be wearing a mask. But if you're walking around the venue, you do and you need to stay at your table. And like, you know, so we're all just trying to figure out our best way to make it work under the mm-hmm. rules that we've been given and like i don't know it's like if it's if it's allowed then and you don't agree with it then take it up with the government right and well, that's the thing too is that there's so many people that are doing you know that are abiding by guidelines and doing things and unfortunately i feel like um you know mayhem and i were misled in the situation and um you know but i mean i guess that it is what it is but it's it's just unfortunate that we seem to be the ones that are being villainized mm. when there are, there are definitely bigger players involved that i think the finger should be pointed at mm-hmm. but you know obviously with the platform that i have and and the responsibility that i do have i'm disappointed in it because it makes me look like i i'm irresponsible and i wasn't acting irresponsibly but being a part of that is irresponsible when i didn't realize it was yeah. going to be such a big event i think we just all have to cut each other a bit of slack cuz we're all doing her fucking best in a pandemic yeah you know and also let's play, one of my favorite things that somebody said on twitter was like get a real job it's like okay well, ah! like first of all how how is this not a real job especially when you based you know mm. you base your weekly routines off of sitting at home and watching us and judging us on twitter on the runway so clearly <laughs> my job is to entertain you but um 
you want me to go out and get a job as an essential worker in the middle of the pandemic as well? It's like, what, like, how, what kind of job do you expect me to get? It's mental. In a competitive market with people who, you know, who, not that I don't need a job, but there's other people that are in worse straits than I am that, that need the work that can't get work. So it's, I don't, it's not that simple. No, it's not. There's been a government um, poster going around this week of like a ballerina and it's it says Fatima doesn't know it, but her next career is in cyber. <laughs> and it's basically like the government's being like, "Fuck the arts, yeah, go go retrain." Because um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't accept that either. Like we've all worked too mm-hmm. hard and spent too much time honing our craft at one thing that, like, right? Yeah, if you have to do it, but like if you can write it out, I I refuse to accept I should be thinking about a career in tech. Well, and that's the conversation <laughs> I've been having. You know, my sister who is very close, like we're you know inseparable, and she's you know my business manager and a creative partner, and has been my best friend for my entire life. But I was like you know like crying with her a couple of months ago when I was really really struggling and had completely depleted my savings. I don't qualify for financial aid here. I don't qualify for government assistance. You know, I can't get unemployment. And all of that is really frustrating. I'm like, what have I done? You know, like I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that I would be in the situation where I've been so successful. And now I'm like, lucky if I can eat ramen for the night. Mm-hmm. What what have I done with my life? I should have gone to school. I should have done something else. I should have taken a different path in my career. But I also shouldn't say that because I love what I do so much. And I'm so passionate about what I do. And um, I couldn't imagine doing anything else but this. Mm-hmm. You know, and so for someone to say, get a real job, that's like... You know, that's fuck you. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. I'll say it with you. Fuck them. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you're safe and that you're starting to make, you know, get getting the gigs back and all of that. And you just no, have to. This is going to be the last thing. I have one more gig this week that I'm contracted into, and it's a drive in show that's going to be really amazing. I'm looking very much forward to it. Um, you know, no one's, no one's consciences are clean either. We're, and like I say, I think we're right. doing our best. Yeah. And it's like, you know, especially in situations like that, when it was first starting, it's like nobody really knew what was happening. And it's, totally. it's really, you know, hard to, to specifically place blame on that. Like we were on tour for Work the World in Asia at the beginning of the outbreak. And I remember all of us being like, please send us home. Like we're afraid to, you know, we're afraid to be here. We have meet and greets. We have all this stuff going on. And this is scary. And I was you know, certain that we were all going to catch it while we were there and then come home and I'll be sick. And, you know, like I said, I, I still have yet to get it. And I plan on staying that way. And that's why, you know, this will be my last gig. A wild time. So I can sit at home and breathe and, um, you know, and look at my disgusting house and, <laughs> and cough on all the dust. Like every time I would come home, the house is so dusty because it's st- like still a construction zone that I'd be like, oh my God, there's a tickle in my throat. I got it. And it was just my allergies. Oh my but... God. It's just the house falling down around you. <laughs> it's this never ending like roller coaster of anxiety and oh, depression and like, what I have to do to get. <laughs> get by <laughs> oh my god okay well um let's move on to happier hopefully happier topics and <laughs> i, I want to talk um about the things that made you queer mm-hmm. so um you know the premise of the show but every week uh my guest comes on and brings me five things that made them queer so it's a person a place a piece of music um a film or tv series and a wild card that were kind of formative in their queer and gay development yeah so you've sent me this amazing list and um, (laughs) i've put them into chronological order 
So you um, quite an extensive list. I apologize. I love it. I love it. She was very extra. Um, so let's get into it. Here are the things that made you queer. Film or TV series. So up first, we have your film or TV show. And, okay, I want to set the stage. So the year is 1995. Where are we? I am in Mesa, Arizona. Um, I can't remember which house we were in because we had several houses. My, we moved around quite a bit when we were kids. My dad was with Lockheed Martin mm-hmm. and the State Department. So we were, like, basically at a different place every, you know, couple of years, essentially. And I was maybe nine or 10 years old and watching the first ever VH1 uh, Fashion and Music Awards. And it was incredible. And I remember like the the opening alone was this huge Terry Mugler retrospective of his fall collection. Oh, wow. It was like my eye. I just got goosebumps even thinking about it. My eyes were like (laughs) bugged out of my head. I had never seen anything like it before. I was like, that's the world I want to live in. That's, I want to be that when I grow up. And, you know, as soon as um, his iconic uh, robot suit woman comes out, she's got this huge, huge Uh trench coat, this huge hat. She throws it off and strips off the trench coat. And I was like, Oh my God, like, that's what I want to be when I grow up is that robot woman. (laughs) <laughs> yes and you like, did oh. and i did yeah <laughs> and that was like really life-changing like that like the whole award show was so iconic because it's like you have every huge person and every huge player in the fashion industry and in the music industry and it's um i was just talking i watched it again last night to like kind of uh you know re- refresh my refresh. memory of everything and i was like yeah. i was i felt like a kid again like watching it and being like oh my god this was so like, even watching it now, is like it's even more iconic because you just see how amazing everything is. RuPaul's there to give the award for, I think, Supermodel of the Year. Madonna oh was there God. to present an award for uh, Rising Star in Fashion. And the nominees for the Rising Star in Fashion, oh, my God, Alexander McQueen, John Galliano, Tom Ford for Gucci, Mucha Prada. Like, what? <laughs> insane. Yeah. Like, it was such an insane moment for fashion and pop culture and music. And it was just amazing i just watched that one clip because i don't think i've seen the whole thing and i was just watching that madonna segment just the, today and yeah it was like mm-hmm. you prada rising star like what yeah right <laughs> isn't that insane yeah. and that you have to there's i watched the whole thing it's on youtube it's like there's um okay there's the an hour-long pre-show and then the entire awards so please, if you get a chance to Google it. I can't wait. I mean, my, yeah, like just watching that little clip, I was like, oh, okay, I need to see the rest of this. And just Madonna being so camp with the hair over one eye, like so chic. Oh, it was so good. Such a good era. That whole like Versace campaign era mm-hmm. was so amazing. And then like they, you know, they pan the audience and you see Andre Leon Tali voguing next to Carl Lagerfeld <laughs> fanning himself and he was still a little overweight. And then you go down the line and there's Gianni and Donatella together. And it was just so, so amazing. And then on top of it, Madonna was awarded, um, I think, I want to say it was like most stylish star or something like that. And like the nominees were Elton John, Madonna, Sting, Seal. So that's where their rivalry came from. Right. right. (laughs) She wins. And instead of, um, I think it was Claudia Schiffer who was presenting it to her, but instead of Claudia giving her the award, Sean Penn came out and brought her the award. And it was like the first time that they had been reunited since, you know, separating in the eighties. And it was like this, I just iconic. I I can't stop saying iconic because it was just so fucking brilliant. And of course you at 10, like you've got no idea what's, 
any of these things. All you see are like the gorgeous women and the amazing. Well, I mean, or, I was or are you already into the fashion? I was already into it because my sister, my sister who is seven years older than I am, she was really into fashion. And so we would hang out together and she would like, you know, show me all her magazines and she got me in love with Madonna. And, you know, I, I grew up with Madonna. So like just watching her alone, I was just like, Oh my God, there's my mom. <laughs> and, like, so I was already kind of like really aware of, of what was happening in fashion and um, just an admirer of glamour and beauty and, and supermodels and, and was already obsessed with RuPaul at that time. So it was like, I was just like a kid in the candy store. Right, so all of the things you wanted and needed mm-hmm. just on one TV show. Yeah. What are your parents thinking at this point? Like, are they... I don't even remember my parents watching it with me. Because I think that I was... Maybe I was watching it with my sister. Or maybe I was, like, sneaking and watching mm-hmm. it. But they've got a little gay boy who's obsessed with fashion. Oh, for sure. And they did not know what to do with me. They also were very anti me being gay and trying to push me up and um, not so, like, you know, and of course I knew that I liked boys and that I was different and that I was very feminine and like, liked girly things, but I knew that I had to hide that as well mm-hmm. at an early age. And I always knew that there was something in the back of my mind that this isn't right. This isn't good. And it's you know, a lot of that indoctrination of an older generation of parents who are more right thinking. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I just always kind of grew up knowing like I'm bad and I have to hide all of these things, but you know, you couldn't, I mean, I was, I was a faggot girl. You couldn't hide it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staring at Claudia Schiffer. And the <laughs> robot lady. Yeah. Yeah. No hiding. It. None. That's really like, I love though that you've kind of painted this, this story that I'm just imagining you and your older sister, like having this escape world into fashion and glamor and like, Oh, for sure. Like she definitely, I mean, she, she, yeah, very freeing. And, you know, my sister left the house really early. She graduated early and and kind of left our parents um, to go do her own thing. And so all of my time with her was always very special because she was such a big part of my upbringing and um, was always, you know, my confidant and my supporter. Mm -hmm. So I always like cherished this memory of her um, and all of our little memories, like her teaching me dance routines and, um, playing dress up and sharing her dolls and all those things. Oh my gosh, she sounds amazing. And now she's still my number one supporter. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> does Does she live in Chicago as well? She lives right across the street from me. Oh, gorgeous. That's how <laughs> close we are. <laughs> she's the one who, she convinced me to move to LA years ago, and then she convinced me to move to Chicago. Wow. And the minute that I bought the, minute I bought the house, I was like, please don't leave, because this is what you usually do, is convince me to go somewhere, and then you leave <laughs> right after I get there. Oh my god, typical big sister i know <laughs> but now all the family lives here my brother lives in in the chicago area my mom is moving back here um so this will be it's really exciting time for us because it'll be the first time that all of the family will be in, in one area for the first time since we were kids so that's, that's wonderful. really exciting um okay let's move on so i'm gonna go to your second uh your second item music you've chosen Ray of Light by Madonna. Yeah. Quel surprise. Quel surprise, Why this album? Why this one specifically? This one specifically, I mean, I always, whenever I talk about Ray of Light, I contribute this album to, like, saving my life. I was, um, it came out in 98, I want to say, yeah, at the beginning of 98. So. I, was, I was 12 years old. 
we had just moved from Arizona to North Carolina. My dad had like this crazy midlife crisis and decided he wanted to be closer to his family. So he, you know, at the beginning of my brother and I, I have a twin brother at the beginning of our seventh grade year, decided to up, uproot us and move us to North Carolina. And it was really the first time um, that I had truly experienced like, you know, people being extremely bigoted and racism mm-hmm. and being shamed for being, you know, a, a young closeted queer boy being called a faggot, being ridiculed by not only students, but teachers and, um, you know, adults for, for being effeminate. Um, and so I was, you know, at 12 years old, very depressed, very suicidal, very like, just not in a good headspace. So then this album came out and I like immersed myself in it. And it was just kind of like my saving grace. I had this little nook in this, the, the house that we were renting and it had a little like seat in the window. And I remember just putting all my pillows in that window. I'm going to cry. Putting all my pillows <laughs> in that windowsill and sitting there for hours with that album on repeat mm-hmm. and just thinking of a life beyond that and how I could, you know, how I can kind of get away. And she was very, that whole album was kind of like a, an ethereal, vacation from those troubling times yeah i i relate to that story so so much my family moved when we went into seventh grade as well so exactly the same age mm-hmm. and we thankfully like moved from the countryside which was really conservative to the city but still it was just mm-hmm. like a complete uprooting at a really like sensitive time and yeah i spent those those three years of my life, like just completely by myself and just with my own thoughts mm-hmm. and creating my own worlds. And I think I probably escaped into like video games and comic books instead of music. And like yeah. for me, Madonna kind of came later, but it's the exact same thing of just like finding something at that age. that's like a lifeline. Yeah, for sure. Now and I'm getting emotional. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's funny. I did, I was um, like, uh, I wasn't super into comic books, but I loved X-Men. And so like, that was kind of around the same time too, as I was reading a lot mm-hmm. of X-Men comics and like, you know, drawing a lot. And like, of course to me, what I loved about the X-Men was it was so stylish and like edgy. And of course, you know, they were ostracized for being different. And I, I always of you know, felt a connection to that. And so yeah. All around that. And Jim Lee made the men look really hot. Oh, so hot. And the women were so <laughs> fierce. Like, oh. Yes. Um, but for all of that. I'm going to guess your favorite X-Men. Is it Psylocke? Oh, I did love Psylocke. But I think my favorite, I was a huge Mystique fan just because she could be oh, anything. Of course. Could. Of course. Like, even to this day, I'm like, oh, God, I wish I had that power because it would be, I would be sickening for reveals. Drink in the park. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> back to ray of light uh-huh. i guess um what song still kind of like stands the test of time for you like what's the one that like takes you back there uh, is it just the, is it the album i mean it's the whole album like it's still one of those albums that i i mean i i do it front to back on at least every week you know um it's one of those like it's anytime that i'm having trouble sleeping i'll put that one on and i'll like mm-hmm. it immediately calms me and like takes me to another place and i just put it on repeat from front to back and there's so many songs on there like power of goodbye and yeah. mer girl which nobody really talks about mer girl which is such a um, so beautiful it's, a, it's so beautiful and haunting and sad and um and and just stunning and i swim i'm absolutely in love with it mm-hmm. like, so it's just like the whole album was incredible and honestly like 1998 was such an amazing year for music in general because it's like all, most of my musical influences and references all come from that year it's like you had um the miseducation of lauren hill you had mezzanine from massive attack mm-hmm. you had 
Um, well, I think Jagged Little Pill was that year. Like so many, no, Jagged Little Pill was not that year. What was Garbage was that year. Yeah. So many amazing albums came out in 1998, but Ray of Light was always the one i have a theory about that album that um candy perfume girl was written with magnetic poetry mm. <laughs> did, did you have magnetic did you have that fridge magnetic poetry when you were yes. when you were like that age of course so i i had a set and it must have been like the set that everyone had and it had because candy perfume girl makes no sense right. it's just it's just random words mm-hmm. but you can write the entire lyrics from one set of um magnetic poetry which I discovered listening to that album. I was like, imagining Madonna there assembling. I can see it. <laughs> yes. She's like, I'm a fucking genius. God, it's her and William Orbit just like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So you're, you're in North Carolina at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, you've lived everywhere. We've lived all over the place. I mean, not really. I mean, we, okay. I was born in Orlando, Florida, and then we moved to Colorado before. I think we were six months old when we moved to Colorado. I think we were there for maybe a year or two, and then we moved back to Orlando, and then we were there until first grade, and then Arizona, then all over the place in Arizona, then a few different places in North Carolina, and then I and then I finally convinced my mom to leave my dad. <laughs> I was like, well, we can't, we can't survive here. We have to leave. <laughs> And go back to Florida of all places. <laughs> but so she, like, she, like, my parents finally separated. I went with my mom. My brother stayed with my dad. Um, and then after living for a year in Florida, my sister convinced my parents to emancipate me. And then she took over full custody of me. Wow. Because I was a wild kid. I was, you know, going through all kinds of, you know, I was just making bad decisions and being a very affected young queer closeted kid. <laughs> so Heather's yeah. saw an opportunity to help me become the person I am today. And I think that's a great transition and segue into our next conversation, maybe. <laughs> yes, I think it is. The next item on our list is your place. Place. It is Echo Exchange, which you say is the store that you and your sister owned when you were 15. Yeah. So are we... In Orlando here? We're in Orlando at this point. She owned a, like a vintage clothing store. It was called Echo Exchange. It was a buy-sell trade, like local designer consignment store. Um, specializing. Your sister is so cool. She's so she? cool. Yeah. I mean, she's done everything. <laughs> she's been, you know, she went to interior design school. She had this store. And she, you know, she was really young when she had the store. She was maybe 19, 20 years old. Had just had a daughter. And so I got emancipated from my family. She took over full custody. We had this really cute house in Orlando by UCF. I got my GED. We worked at the store constantly. We made art. We made clothes. We threw amazing events. Like she, you know, she's the one who encouraged me to come out of the closet. I was wow. saying, this is before I think she even had custody of me, but she found a stash of like <laughs> printed out pictures of nude male celebrities <laughs> and where I was saying oh, yeah. she was like what's this yeah. and I was like oh, yeah. I don't know like where did that come from and she was like you are gay oh, like you just don't say that you're gay it's fine <laughs> you like Madonna like what the fuck like what is wrong with you I've known forever to say it and I was like okay fine I think I'm gay and she was like Woo. <laughs> um, and- wow dragged kicking and screaming out of the closet right right with like mind you wearing like vintage bell bottoms and a button-up <laughs> cowboy shirt because don't tell me it had just come out and i was like feeling my madonna fantasy i was like i'm so straight what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> i'm dressed like a cowboy i'm like yeehaw what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> 
So the, she, yeah, she like made me come out, made me call my parents, like tell, you know, call mom and dad, tell them, tell them everything. Like you should be proud of this and celebrate this. And we're going to get through this and it's going to be fine. And you've always been so creative and let's explore that. And really, really helped encourage me, you know, make clothes and, and be artistic and explore that side of me. that I was never really able to have the freedom to do. And, you know, we would throw all these amazing like fashion shows around downtown Orlando and everyone just assumed that I was of age and like older, even though it was only 15, like, you know, they're like, Oh, here's that little, that cute little twink that <laughs> owns that vintage <laughs> store. And so I, we, I was going, you know, started going out at that age and was going to all these nightclubs and throwing all these amazing events. And then one event that we did was like a fetish fashion show. Mm -hmm. And that one was like really amazing. And I was like, I'm going to do drag. I'm going to get up in fetish gear and, and, and work it. <laughs> wow. Did, do you think your parents had any idea when you were emancipated to your sister that like she'd be getting <laughs> you to walk in fetish fashion shows? I don't think so. And you know, I mean, at the time too, there was no, there wasn't like Facebook or MySpace or any of that shit. So a lot of it, I don't even think that they really knew was going on. Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of just her and I, you know, living. And, she, you know, she was a young mother at the time she was going to school. She had another job working as a makeup artist for Yves Saint and Nima Marcus. And so she was super busy doing all kinds of things, just trying to make it and trying to survive. And I was a 15-year-old kid with all of a sudden all of this freedom and liberation yeah. and then be became slightly even more wild. <laughs> it's, it sounds like... It sounds like a movie. Oh, for sure. She's always trying to get me to sell my rights to my, yeah. my life eventually. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to watch it. I have a lot more learning to do. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, what's, what's Orlando like? Because uh, like as a Canadian who, and now UK, like my impression of Florida is just like Disney and meth. Yeah, that's like, basically it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty much it. Uh, Florida was, you know, at the time, I didn't know anything other than and than than what experiences I had, and I had a I had a, a good enough experience in Florida because when I was emancipated and I, when I was staying with my sister, you know, we were surrounded by really progressive, liberal minded people um, mm -hmm. who were artistic and creative and, and supporting each other in that way. And so I didn't really experience much of the kind of hillbilly side that Florida has to offer. <laughs> yeah. Because we surrounded ourselves with like minded people, you know, by going out and doing those events that I was talking about, like that fetish fashion show is where I met my drag mother for the first time and met like a bunch of drag queens. Our roommate at the time um, was dating this guy and he had a gay best friend and his gay best friend invited me to go out to a nightclub with him. And so the first nightclub I ever went out to, like on my own, like gay nightclub was called Southern Nights mm -hmm. in Orlando. It's still around. And it was like my first gay nightlife experience. And it's the mm -hmm. first time I, I met a transgender person. It's the first time I met like all these amazing people that eventually became my dear friends. You know, I think because I was surrounded by that kind of experience, my upbringing in Orlando at that time was completely different than I think it would have been had I not had that freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, I was really, you know, not only celebrated, but supported by the queer community there and uplifted. And um, I attribute a lot of my success and my, my kind of work ethic by meeting all of those amazing queer nightlife individuals. It sounds like you got like a really lucky escape. <laughs> 
I did. Yeah. And don't get it twisted. Like, I mean, I had my problems too. I got, you know, I did fall into the whole meth scene in Orlando and I was a really wild 17, 18 year old kid. And, um, but all of those things, you know, led me to where I am today. You learn, you grow, Mm -hmm. you experience. I was really, you know, wild. Still am. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Naturally. I came out a a little bit later, like 18 and it took me a while to like, accept that I was out and like that I wanted to do and experience gay things. Were you just like straight in there? Like no holds barred. I mean, I kind of, it was like a huge, huge weight off and a huge, like just release. And then, you know, especially having so much support with Heather, she encouraged me to join a a gay youth group and go to Orlando. And I was going there and like, you know, meeting other young individuals like myself. But I even felt like I was stifled in that kind of setting because I felt like, you know, moving so much when we were younger, you have to grow up really fast. So I always felt like, mm-hmm. you know, and then having, of course, my sister and her friends being the people I hung out with the most, I always felt a little older and like an older soul. And so I usually gravitated with people who are like 10 years my senior. And so yeah, I felt stifled kind of by, by being in the youth group scenario and situation. And then even but at the same time, I was still quite innocent. Like I didn't really start experiencing gay sex or like dating or anything like that until I was after I was 18 years old. Right. Um, and even then I was still like super, even though I'm very flirtatious and very, you know, I exude the sexuality. I'm still like a little shy girl, like tee <laughs> I do not believe that. I know no one ever does, but I'm still like, I'm a huge, huge flirt, but then I'm like, ah! Any hot guy on Instagram that I follow, and if they post the thirst trap, the trap has been set, and my foot is in the in the bear trap for yeah. sure. <laughs> okay, um, we are going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with more things that made detox queer. <laughs> Miss Quarantina Turner, got you feeling down? Never fear, divas, because the Wow Podcast Network is here. Coming this year are brand new episodes of your fave pods, such as mine, Girl Group Gossip, starring me, Cheryl Hole. Hi, Cheryl. How's your hole? Hole is worn out. How are you? <laughs> to the triumphant return of the official RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. Or as we like to call it, Sheena, ready to hurt. And not to mention bringing... Um, Tap dancing in... That was this close to be the name of the show. <laughs> and with brand new podcasts from RuPaul's Drag Race UK, Crystal, and season 12's Jackie Cox, the WOW Podcast Network will be the one-stop shop for all your drag-related podcast adventures. So for more deets, go to worldofwonder.com forward slash podcast. Moose! So we are back with Detox and the things that made her queer. And we are on to her next item. Person. Um, maybe it's going to be people, but you've put Ms. Corey and maybe your whole Orlando drag family. So we started talking about this already, started to explore drag. How old are you when you when you really start to like get into it? I think, well, I, I, I think I was probably 16, probably around 16 or 16. 17 when I met Miss Corey, probably 16, when I met Miss Corey for the first time at that fetish fashion show that we were talking about. And we didn't mm-hmm. really start talking until probably another, I don't know, year or two after that, when I was really trying to like hit the bar scene and like, you know, everyone assumed that I was of age, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of got in anywhere. So I was like, 
you know, I got into a lot of trouble for going to Southern Nights for that first time when my sister actually ended up kicking me out of the house because she was very upset with me. And I ended up moving in with my dad who had a wow. time. It was like, we had this huge fight because she was like, you know, she wanted to protect me and wanted to be with me anytime I was out. And so, you know, I kind of lied to her and told her that I was going on a date when really I was just going to the bar. And so I showed up, I showed uh-huh. up back to our house drunk with the wristband on. And <laughs> she was like, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> so I got into a lot of trouble and we got into a huge argument. But, um, you know, and then after I, I was thrown out and moved in with my dad, I didn't want to hang out with my dad much. So I would just, you know, sneak out and go to all the gay park. And, mm-hmm. that's and I really like infiltrated and like pushed myself out there and like made everyone become friends with me. I was like, I'm here. You're not going to get rid of me. You're going to be my friend and you're going to be my track mom. And Corey like loved it. Like she took me under her wings and she was like this amazing, amazing club kid, like so much personality and, and over the, like huge and tall and amazing costumes and makeup and so phenomenal. It's just gagged by her. And um, we ended up living in the same apartment complex mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it. So then once we found that out, I would just start going over to her house all the time and helping her with her bags and like being her basically her little drag bitch and anytime she needed someone to like wow. put on a pair of heels and do it I was there to do it um and so it was kind of great because she was never really like not like a drag mom in the sense that she would do me up and like teach me everything she she wanted me to learn for myself by like following her and watching her and her friends and like taking notes and introducing me to the right people but never really telling me what to do just being like these are the people you need to know and learn from and look at and and take what you can and and soak everything in and then do it your own way i mean it sounds like like your own version of aj and the queen yeah <laughs> like a- <laughs> did you like set out intentionally like i want to do drag and i'm gonna figure out how to do this kind of you know it was like I, honestly that first night going to southern nights was so life-changing because it was my first time seeing a drag show and meeting all these people and i was just like oh my god like this is what i've been this is what i've been doing my entire life in the closet dressing up as a girl and putting on clothes and, and lip syncing in my room and, and, you know, filming music videos in my head, wearing a towel as a wig. And, and here are these goddesses and these, and, you know, amazing, amazing, beautiful trans entertainers like Daniel Hunter and Cezanne and um, all these people who were uh, like sassy divine, all these amazing people that I looked up to when I was a kid and like, seeing them for the first time and was just blown away by the artistry of the mm. and I was like, I want to do this when I grow up. And so I made, you know, kind of made it a mission to, to do whatever I had a job doing makeup at the time and like working at retail. And mm-hmm. anytime I would get a regular job, I would just end up getting fired because I was focusing all of my energy and attention and my time on doing drag and going out at night and trying mm-hmm. to make a name for myself. You know, obviously it worked out, but <laughs> I don't know what would have happened had not. <laughs> yeah. Were you called Detox straight away? I was, um, my first drag name that I came up with was actually Dita, because I loved that whole, you know, sexy Madonna erotica era. Yeah. Again, yeah. I was so young and a mess and like a drunk that I would, <laughs> we were like, at, I think we were at Firestone, which was like a, an old club in Orlando. And I was helping Corey with something and wore these big platform shoes and like fell down a flight of stairs and was just a mess. And everyone ended up started just calling me detox. (laughs) 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 And it stuck. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And you never took their advice. I never did. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so I wanted to ask you because one of the things that I've always really admired about you and your drag is this like incredible self-assuredness that you have and this like this confidence and it just seems like you really like are really unapologetic in yourself and both in drag and out. And I wonder if that's something that you always had when you, when you started drag or, or if it's something that took time. I I mean, it definitely took time. I think to, I think it took time to believe it, but I feel like at the beginning of everything, I was just, I was very tenacious and I still am very tenacious, but I think that was like something that I had to do to myself to like, to, to kind of beef myself up. And I did that Mm -hmm. as a kid too, because I knew that I was so crazy and like, and different and, um, you know, but I always had like this tenacious, wild spirited personality and just an um, innate need to entertain people and to be funny and to be the center of attention. Um, even though I was extremely mm-hmm. crippled with anxiety and, um, and self doubt and mm-hmm. um, insecurities. But I think that that was my kind of armor and, and weaponry of, of pushing through that. And it didn't take, I mean, it, it took a long time for me to actually believe it. And I think the more yeah. successful I got and the more um, I think people kind of, the more I realized that people were buying my bullshit, the more I, I, I actually believed it. <laughs> you know? And that's yeah. the kind of like the advice yeah. I always try to give anybody when people ask me like, how do, how do you have that? I was like, it took me a long time to do it because it's a lot of it was faking it. Um, and essentially faking it until you're making it. And, yeah. um, you know, and I still, sometimes I still have those, those, insecurities creep up but then i just look at my body of work and be like well, 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 yeah i think that's really interesting that you say it's like a coping mechanism though because um like you know at the ages that we were talking about like coming out and or like figuring out you're gay and different like i definitely had all of that anxiety and doubt but i think i turned that into like like trying to be a people pleaser and like give people what they wanted Mm -hmm. to see rather than rather than saying this is who i like owning myself confidently it sounds like you took it the other way and said no no i'm just gonna i'm gonna pretend that who i am is good enough until it feels good enough yeah i mean i think that's that's kind of a great way to, to wrap that up is that's kind of exactly how I feel. And, you know, like I still, I had that mentality too, where I was a people pleaser. Um, but I think I just, because I am a people pleaser, I like flipped it around and was like, well, I, you know, I'm going to be like essentially a grinder monkey, like, you know, working clown for people yeah. to, you know, bring a smile yeah. to their face. And I think that's constantly been a coping mechanism of mine, even through like, you know, all of my traumas and tragedies in my life, I've always turned those situations into like, mm-hmm. you know, it's been an escape mechanism to like, okay, well, I have to throw myself into work and, and make a joke out of whatever the situation may be to kind of heal and process and move on. Well, that's like a incredibly powerful tool. And it's something that I wish I'd figured out, like, I don't know. 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier. And trust me, a lot of it's bullshit because there's still times where I just sit in bed for days and cry, Um, especially with everything going on in the world right now. It's been very, you know, there's some things that you just can't laugh off anymore and some things that you've laughed Mm -hmm. off for so long that that really need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, I'm not saying that that's the best way to handle things, but I I think at the time it was a way for me to survive um, and thrive. And it's definitely a great way of creating... um, an amazing stage persona because <laughs> <laughs> fuck it worked it worked there well thank you <laughs> um 
who else are we meeting in Orlando? Is there maybe um, someone else we might know? There's so, there's so, so many people. I mean, like Rock, that's where Roxy and Andrews and I became close friends. Um, One of my dearest friends, uh, his name is Matt. He's the one who kind of introduced me to the world of silicone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and was also very life-changing for me, who remains one of my closest friends. Um, (laughs) Sassy Divine, who's one of my closest, like there's so many people in Orlando that have really shaped not only the performer that I am and the entertainer that I am, but the person I am. Yeah. One of, one of my biggest influences in drag is Sierra Fox, who unfortunately passed away this past April. Um, so RIP Sierra, I'm going to cry again, but she mm. was one of my biggest influences and um, inspirations when it came to my style of performing. Like she was known for her amazing 80s freestyle mixes and like the whole record skip kind of performance style and the jaw wiggle mm-hmm. and the static, you know, exaggerations of, of body movement. And I was so blown away and enamored by her. Um, and you know, there's so many different people from Orlando, especially that I've taken little bits of of characteristics from and kind of put it in this big amalgamation of whatever detox is. And she's been one of the yeah. biggest influences. Carmela Marcela Garcia, who also unfortunately passed away at the end of last year, who was a huge influence of mine, was so, so kind to me when I was so young and um, tolerated me, which I was just like, you know, to me, I, I know that because I was obnoxious. I was like forcing everyone to like me, and she really did. And she put uh-huh. her wing and, and and taught me how to use the microphone, and you know, showed me what an amazing MC could be. And it, there's so many people that are from that specific time in my life that I don't even know how I could begin to think because I wouldn't be yeah. here if it weren't for any of them. And most of them are trans women. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful, and I think it's. Uh, it's really interesting that you say that like you've taken little bits from everyone because that's I think that's what drag is isn't it you're just kind of like constantly picking yeah. up pieces you just have to be a along sponge sponge and yeah. soak up as much as you can I, that's another thing that anytime I get asked the question of like what kind of advice do I have for for people who want to get into drag it's like learn like sit back learn observe take in as much as you can but make it your own mm-hmm. do you think the style side kind of came from came mostly from you or was the style also something that you were really seeing on the scene? Cause I, I, don't know. I have a feeling you were, pro- you were probably quite avant-garde for Orlando. Yeah, I was a little, I mean, at the beginning stages, I was very much um, like androgynous and more of a club kid and like very kind of fetish and, but also like, you know, whatever I could get my hands on, like, you know, I wasn't really a queen with that many means. So it's like whatever I had in my closet that I could, destroy and make it into something different or, or add on to or reinterpret in some way I did. I was very, you know, vintage inspired, obviously, because my sister and I had the store. So I pulled a lot of my garments from there. Um, and of course, my, you know, them on again the next morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and just taking little pieces of, of my love of fashion from all kinds of different places and, and making it androgynous. And then it wasn't really until I started getting work done that I was kind of like, you know, um, changing my style a little bit more and, and um, you know, feminizing the silhouettes more and being a little bit more glamorous. And that's when like the Southern quintessential drag started creeping into my blood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk also about your performance of nothing's going to stop us now, which is, I think like one of my favorite drag performances I've ever seen. Oh. And I've, I've only ever seen it on YouTube, Thank but like, you. um, 
Yeah, anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it needs to go check it out. But you tell me about that number. Uh, sure. Um, I was in LA. This is when I had uh, moved to LA. And I was, um, at the time, guest spotting at the Dreamgirls Review, which is an iconic iconic drag review hosted by Chad Michaels. And, you know, had so many, so many stars in it. And they were doing an 80s night. My boyfriend at the time and I were like, ooh, you know, I had so many, I had to do two numbers. And I was like, you know, I had all these amazing Sierra Fox mixes that she had given me that were all 80s. So I was like, of course I'll do that. And then I was like, I want to do, Manica was my favorite movie. Like I was like one of my favorite movies growing up. I was obsessed with it. Yes. I loved it. I've always wanted to kind of figure out a way to do some kind of number based on that. And my boyfriend at the time was like, well, why don't you just do the theme, like, you know, the theme song? And it didn't register to me at the time. I was like, well, it's a duet. And he was like, no, just be a mannequin. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, you're right. And it was like there were, at the beginning stages of it, there were so, like, you know, the first one we had like a whole set done up, and I was like sitting on like this little chair with a bench and like had costume changes planned where he was gonna come in and like put different outfits on me, and it was a, a mess. But it like you know, it, mm-hmm. many many trials and tribulations of mannequin to become where it is now. And, it's um, obviously one of my favorite numbers to do, and uh, it has a lot of. Do you still do? Yeah, of course, I do. You know, and there's times where I'm like, you know, I can't do mannequin again. Oh my god, I can't. I couldn't even imagine doing it again. Yeah. Um, and if I don't do it, people are like, "Where's mannequin?" Like, All right. You know, so here I am thinking, I'm like, God, this one time I saw this thing on YouTube, and it's like, but actually, this is just like a pure staple of yours. You're like, oh, it's like the signature number. And then it's right. funny too, because like even you know, with when I became a, a member of the Dream Girls Review, and they would do themed themed shows, they were like, which, how are you going to make mannequin fit the theme this time? <laughs> so it would be like you know, the Halloween mannequin where I would come out in a spooky outfit with a jack-o'-lantern yeah. as the first, and then the Christmas mannequin where I'd come out with a stocking, like. Stupid! <laughs> like if you girl, you can't do mannequin for the Disney number, and I was sure did show up in like yeah. a Disney dress <laughs> with the Disney person doing mannequin. They're like, "You gotta stop it with the mannequin!" I'm like, "I can't! I can't!" It's such a good tipping number. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, actually, that really brings us on really nicely to our the wild card item. Wild card. Which uh, is L.A., just generally L.A. Um, So you've moved to L.A., and how old are you when that happened? I had just turned 21, I think. Right. No, I was like 21 and a half. It was January of 2000. How old was I? January 2008, I moved there, so I was 22. Um, And again, my sister... um, was living in LA. She was finishing her last year of law school. You know, her daughter was getting older. She needed help. I had just broken up with my boyfriend in Florida at the time. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, you know, drag wasn't really paying the bills. I didn't really want to get a regular job. She was like, you need to quit drag, move out here, help me with my daughter, get a job as a stylist. Like you're so, you could get a job as a stylist like immediately in LA because you're so fashionable and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so I was like, fuck it. Like, what do I have to lose? And I, I moved out to LA with every intention on becoming a stylist and not really doing drag anymore. And, um, obviously that, you know, never goes away. <laughs> so like, I, I, I moved out there. I immediately got a job as a stylist. And within a matter, like maybe a month or so, I was like already doing drag again. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and I was, you know, I think it was just, it's so cliche, but it's the right time and the right place and all that bullshit. I think LA really didn't know what to do with me when I got there. Like I was like this, 
you know, kind of burst of energy that hadn't been there before. And, you know, I was, I had taken everything that I had learned from, from my Southern drag upbringing and, um, turned it into whatever this character is that I am today. And I, they just didn't know how to handle or respond to me, but they loved it and they ate me up. And so within a matter of weeks, really, I was kind of like the it girl on the scene and, and blowing mm. up, and, um, which led to getting, you know, amazing offers to do, you know, TV shows and music videos and, and whatever else. And so I was like, oh, you know, a kid in the candy store. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, my sister ended up moving. So I really, you know, <laughs> I think within like six months of me moving to, to LA, she was wow. <laughs> something crazy. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? But I luckily by that point, I had already made such a big splash and had made so many amazing friends with mayhem and Morgan and Ray Latre. And like, you know, we all became like this, you know, pretty tight knit family and we would all just crash at Raya. So I ended up just, you know, staying staying with her and i could not have been luckier and it could not have been better timing and um it was just really really a wild experience and and with the drag just like become your full-time career kind of yeah then on yeah that's incredible um, yeah i I think before like that's before the impact of drag race it was yeah my my last real job i think was in 2000 Yeah, so for all of those <laughs> who are telling me to go get a real job, my last real job was 12 years ago in 2008, uh, and I have been doing drag full, full-time ever since. And um, That's incredible. Yeah, it's been, it's been like a wild, wild ride. And then, of course, yeah, it was right kind of at the helm of when Drag Race was starting. I remember, like, all the buzz going around LA, like, oh, you know, there's RuPaul's wanting to do... A, a reality show based on drag queens and um the initial pitch of the show actually was a drag performer and like their best judy like they're either their their hairstylist or their best friend or their costume designer or something and those people those two people would be like competing as a team essentially and then it became yeah obviously that changed and it became something else but i remember auditioning and like you know basically campaigning to get on the first season and obviously that didn't work out but i'm thankful that it didn't (laughs) (laughs) it's a slippery thing isn't it like you want to get in at the right time but not too late yeah well that's the thing like none of us really knew what it was going to be so of course like you know when it when that when it was initially happening everybody wanted to be a part of it and everyone was like dying to be included and involved in it in some capacity and i don't think anybody i don't even think that world of wonder realized what kind of cultural phenomenon it would have become um Mm. and so i'm grateful that i didn't get on and i'm at at the first season and i'm very thankful that i got on when i did because yeah it's been perfect completely life-changing do did you know like in what was it 2013 or 14 like did you know what a big deal it was when you were cast in season five uh we i got cast in 2012 we filmed in 2012 and it came out in 2013 and i think by, by that point we were all kind of aware like you know, especially after season four, I think we were all aware yeah. that this is this is going to be around for a minute. And, you know, it was really picking up steam. And then, um, you know, getting on season five, I just remember being ecstatic and, um, and so grateful and thankful. And, you know, I had already had so much success doing drag as is and, before, you know, before Drag Race. And so I was already kind of a really 
well-known name in the drag community prior to being on the show. And I think that that, that's one of the things I love so much about season five is that there were so many veterans of drag in America that were part of that season. Mm. And so to me, it like really validated drag in a a very special and particular way. And um, so it was just amazing to be a part of that, that cast and that, that moment. Like, and you guys set the, I feel like you guys set the standard of like, what a good season of drag race is that like i think that was like the bar set like it's the gold standard season as as far as i'm concerned it's pretty it's great incredible. it's funny i will we're um you know willem and alaska are doing their uh their podcast right now race chaser yeah and they just started doing season five and i they messaged me last night and we're like hey you know we're on the episode that you won do you want to like come on and talk about it for a minute. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I hadn't, I haven't watched season five since it aired. Really? Um, and so a lot of, yeah, it's cause it's a weird, it's like, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I hated watching myself. That is yeah. one of those things that you, like, I hate hearing myself. I hate seeing myself, but just, I like to do it and then be done with it and kind of not think about it. Um, and so, but now I'm like, you know what? I, I should probably go back and rewatch that. Cause it's been so long and just talking with them about it and talking with Alaska about like, our experiences <laughs> on the show were so funny. So I should probably give it another, but it was amazing. I just remember it being such a great experience and like being a part of that movement. has been incredible. Yeah. I mean, I bet you're going to, you're going to cringe so hard when you watch that. Oh, again. 100%. Like I, <laughs> that's what she, that's what she, was she was like, it's not that bad. Once you like think about it, it's actually a lot more fun now, but it was so cringy watching it the first time that I've just kind of held that like yeah. that in my mind. So I'm maybe it's been a, you know, eight years since we filmed that. So I'm sure I'll probably look at it a little differently now. Yeah, for sure. I had to get so drunk at my viewing parties mm. when we were, when our season was coming out. Cause I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. It was too stressful. And I haven't watched it since it aired either, but it's only been a year, but like, mm. I don't, yeah, I don't know when I'll have the guts to do that to myself. Cause it is just, you know, you, you, you put your heart and your soul into it. And- totally. And for me, like it's only been a year, but like, I feel like my drag has gotten so much better in that year that even just watching, like even just from that point of view, just like looking at it, I'm like, why, why have you done it like that? What are you thinking? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were showing my, like showing me the runway from, from the episode last night. And it was like, Oh, and it was literally about the outfit that I wore for the episode that I won was I think pretty in pink was the theme. And it was the one outfit that I hated the most that I, that I did on the runway. <laughs> So I was like, oh, I don't which one is it? It was like this mesh, like pink, like oh, the mesh with the tits. The, the, yes, I hated it. <laughs> you hated I, that. I, did. I mean, I loved the, the my body and the tits and everything, but I I just was not feeling the look. Um, so it was funny that like I won that challenge and I just felt so uncomfortable on that runway. It's so funny. You didn't look like it, but <laughs> I definitely... yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can you can hate it, but if you sell it, mm-hmm. no one needs to know. That kind of takes us to to present day, and those are the things that made you queer. It's the VH1 Fashion Music Awards, Ray of Light, Echo Exchange, the people of Orlando, and the city of LA. Yeah, thank you all for making me a huge fag. <laughs> yes. Before you go, will you play a little game of um, "But Is It Queer" with me? Sure. Is it queer? Okay, it's really straightforward. I'm just going to give you a thing, and we have to decide if it's queer or not. Okay. Okay. Um, first up, um, but is it queer? 
Uh, Courtney Cox. Queer. Why? She's camp. Scream? I mean, Gail Weathers? Yeah, I think Gail Weathers is very queer. Especially those bangs. Yes. <laughs> and you know, even, I loved her as Monica on Friends, too. And Friends was, I mean, all the gays loved Friends, even though it's... <laughs> watching it now, it's not as funny as I remember <laughs> it being as a kid. But no. I feel like Gail Weathers is for sure queer. Gail Weathers is definitely queer. And okay, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, Courtney Cox, officially queer. And I haven't seen Cougar Town, but I have a feeling that's oh really queer. Oh my God, camp. Yeah. Um, uh, the Circus. Queer. You think? Yeah, with a question mark. Queer adjacent. Queer with a question mark. <laughs> the costuming. Like, uh, the... Yeah, you have rhinestones. Rhinestones and glitter and, and acrobats uh, and, like, and clowns. Yeah, body dysmorphia. And, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, everything except animal torture. Right, which they don't do anymore, right? Yeah, I guess I guess they don't. I hope, do they not? I, I don't know. I haven't been to a circus in, since I was a child. Um, but is it queer Prosecco? I feel like Prosecco is a cis girl <laughs> interpretation of champagne. I think champagne is queer. Yeah, because the finest things in life are queer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Prosecco is when we just need to get drunk. Right. <laughs> yeah. Prosecco's I mean, alcohol queer. is queer, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there's definitely like, there's like a Kinsey scale right. of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And Prosecco's definitely somewhere near the straight end of that Kinsey I scale. I think so. Uh, okay, last one. Like having a neon sign in your house. Is that queer? Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't think so? My I whole, think it is. I my, think it's 100% queer. Oh, 100%. It's like... Yeah, fluorescence. And I feel like the straights have been trying to take that one from us, but they can't have it. Yeah. It's not allowed. Well, you know what also, I think what why the gays love it so much is when Michelle Pfeiffer had one in Batman Return. Hell here. <laughs> they were like, Iconic Whoa. moment. Yeah, so maybe we took it from the straights. But don't yeah. we deserve something? <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer was, Michelle Pfeiffer and Catwoman was never for the straights. Oh my God, never. I mean, that whole movie was not for the straights. It was, it's yeah. what, no. Tim Burton? And that was, the, yeah. that was a great era of Batman. Like the whole, it was very comic oh. book and cartoon. I loved it. I mean, it's, it's full drag cutting up a closet. 100%. To make yourself into an alter ego. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> Babes, well, that's it then. Neon signs are queer, and um, so are you, and so am I. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. It's been so nice having you. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Thanks for making the time. And um, where? And got anything to plug? Um, I not not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've got I've got some new merch coming out very soon. There we you go. See it on theonlydetox.com. Um, you know, I have a new music video coming out that we started filming at the beginning of quarantine. That was like that should have been out forever ago, but it's taken a little bit longer longer than anticipated that that'll be coming out very soon for my son El Camino um yeah just follow the only detox on all social media platforms unless you have shit to say then suck my dick yes (laughs) bless your feed follow (laughs) detox (laughs) thank you so much babes thank you gorgeous have an amazing day you too bye bye 
thank you again to Detox and thank you to you for joining me for episode one of The Things That Made Me Queer. Uh, if you like the episode, please, please, please help us get it off the ground and share it with your friends, share it on social media, and make sure that you subscribe. Our theme song is Something Like Summer, graciously provided by Caveboy. This has been a World of Wonder production. <laughs>